Welcome to Always Searching, the podcast challenging conventional wisdom about health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Lynn Mark. I'm delighted that you're here. Our guest is not only the CEO of Star Harbor, but also an astrophysicist, an analog astronaut, a galactic visionary who helped design space telescopes. Welcome to Always Searching, Mariah Tanner. Thank you so much. I'm uh, really excited to be here. Thank you, Mariah. You know, I've had the privilege and pleasure to work with you in Star Harbor, with Star Harbor, but I don't really know much about your background. Uh, Where were you raised and and how did you get interested in space? (laughs) So I was raised on the central coast of California near the coast in a little, little town called Arroyo Grande near San Luis Obispo in Pismo Beach. Uh, it was an absolutely fantastic place to grow up. And I, I couldn't wait to get out when I finally <laughs> graduated <laughs> like high school. All of us. <laughs> See yeah. the world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know what? I cannot honestly remember there ever being a time in my life when I was not fascinated by space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most, most kids, you know, decide they want to be a doctor, an attorney, you know, a sports star, a rock star, whatever. <laughs> there was only one thing I ever wanted to do, and that was go to space. Were there role models in your life who inspired you? I mean, later on, uh, certainly, you know, uh, Sally Ride was oh, uh, huge for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I followed her career and, you know, was really excited when she flew. But, you know, aside from her, I, I would, I couldn't say that there were many other, you know, women astronauts, mm-hmm. you know, and role models that I could really point to. Did you want to be an astronaut? Yeah, absolutely. So it was sort of a guiding light. So when you went to college, you studied astrophysics, which is not something you hear a lot from people. <laughs> what about it just, just intrigued you? And, and how did you relate to it? Uh, this is going to sound funny, but I kind of came to it by accident. <laughs> you know, some of the best things in our lives are by accident. <laughs> uh, so, you know, as a kid, I wanted to be an astronaut, you know, and when you're little, you know, you're, you're six, eight, mm-hmm. 12, you know, people are like, oh, that's great. Go for it. You know, you, you start getting into middle school and high school, you know, the adults around you start to give you a different message. Uh, you know, like, oh, that's really cool. But, you know, what's your fallback plan? Right. (laughs) What's your plan B if that doesn't work out? So I really started to get the sense that, you know, this was not a safe path. And, you know, at Mm -hmm. the time, I I can't say I was self-possessed enough to, you know, not be influenced by that. And at the same time, uh, I did a year in Japan as a high school student um, Mm -hmm. and decided, you know, I wanted to save the world through, government and politics. <laughs> it's, it's sort of a lofty ambition goal, yeah. Easier and to go into space, probably. Probably, yeah. And so I actually, I went to school uh, at UC Berkeley, and I was a political economy of industrial societies major. That's quite a mouthful. Uh, yeah. Um, and, you know, I did that for three and a half years. Uh, I was a semester away from graduation. 
But the entire time I struggled, mm-hmm. I, um, yeah. you know, I love learning, but I just wasn't into my classes and I didn't know what I was going to do with it when I finished. And, you know, that, that last semester I was contemplating withdrawing and didn't know, you know, what I was going to do. And my mom, uh, gave me the best piece of advice probably ever, uh, in my life, which was <laughs> Mariah, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. We always need to ask ourselves probably on a daily basis. Yeah. She was like, space is your thing. Why are you wasting your time with this? Mm-hmm. You know, just go yeah. do what you want to do. Follow your part, your heart and passion. Mm-hmm. And so I flipped open the, the catalog and at the time, uh, I don't know if it's still this way, but at the time you, you had to finish your degree in 120 units or they'd kick you out with a liberal arts. And so given I was in my senior year, you know, <laughs> there was, <laughs> was much only, time left. Yeah. There was only one major that fit within the units I had available and that was physics. So I was like, okay, I'm a physics major. <laughs> wow. So that's how you made that monumental decision. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And I had never taken a physics class. I really? knew nothing about it. Wow. And, you know, either as, as luck or as fate would have it, I absolutely fell in love and mm-hmm. I was, you know, pretty decent at it. Um, and uh, it was clearly, you know, where I was meant to be after a little detour. <laughs> it's funny how life brings you, you know, back. When I was a little girl, I always wanted to be a doctor practicing on the moon. Mm. And then, you know, you, you become an adult and you realize, well, that's probably not going to happen. So you then choose another path and yep. then eventually you get led back to what it is that inspired you when you were a kid. And I yeah. see that through all these podcasts, you know, part of our mission is to talk to people who realistically transform their lives mm-hmm. by questioning the conventional and almost everyone has done that. It's really intriguing. That is interesting. So you, you took astrophysics and then you moved it into your career. Um, mm-hmm. What was that? You were involved with some of the designs of our space telescopes, weren't you? Yeah, absolutely. So during uh, my between my junior and senior year of my physics degree, you know, since I was on the seven-year plan now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, education's a good thing. Never to be wasted. Yeah, yeah, true, true. I uh, interned at TRW, which is now Northrop Grumman Space Technology. Mm-hmm. Um, at In Redondo Beach, I worked on a project called SIM, uh, Space-Based Interferometry Mission, because I'd been doing some interferometry research with uh, one of the professors at UCI. So for our team of explorers here, can you describe what that means? Uh, the The acronym. Uh, oh, Space-Based Interferometry Mission? It was, uh, it was yes. this... Um, a uh, very, very, very large telescope um, okay. that was going to be searching for wobbles, um, or not necessarily wobbles, um, differences in light that was reaching us that would indicate that there was a planet passing in front of it, in front mm-hmm. of the star. Mm-hmm. So I was really excited about this. And after the internship, they, uh, you know, my plan was because at the time there were really only two paths into space, you know, and that was being a, a NASA, uh, you know, a military pilot or uh, a NASA scientist. And, and so, I, you know, my plan was to go get my PhD, 
But after my summer, they wanted to hire me when I graduated. And they said, you know, whoever is the lead engineer on this mission will have the opportunity to fly as the payload specialist with it. Because oh, it was wow, going it was the only Yeah, the, the only vehicle that, that could actually launch it was the shuttle. And I was like, wait, you're telling me I can go to space without having to get my PhD? <laughs> <laughs> it's like Christmas has come early. <laughs> Sold. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sign me up. Yeah. So I uh after graduation I hired in and um was able to work on that project for a while. And then unfortunately it wasn't long after that we had the uh, the second shuttle accident, and mm-hmm. given that was the only vehicle yeah. uh, large enough yeah, um, to take it, mm-hmm, uh, the the project died, which was mm-hmm. you know really really sad. However, um, I realized I also loved engineering and got to work on uh, a lot of really fantastic projects a lot of JPL, NASA space telescopes. I had a very small hand in a James Webb uh, mm-hmm. in the early, early days. And then uh, Mars Sample Return Mission, which has just gotten rebooted, which I'm very excited about. Yeah, finally. Yeah, finally. Yeah, I think I worked on that in 2002, three. Yeah. If you wait long <laughs> enough, everything comes full circle. Yeah. certain. Yeah. So you must be literally over the moon to look at some of these gorgeous images from the web that we're starting to see. Oh my gosh. I have just been blown away. Yeah. 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 The level of detail is just Mm -hmm. extraordinary. Did you find when you were working on these projects that it transformed you not only intellectually, but also spiritually, you know, looking back at the beginning of time, did it ever make you question anything about, you know, who we are, where we began in the universe? Oh, certainly. You know, when you're when you're looking for you know planets and, and mm-hmm. faraway systems, uh, or even just going through my astrophysics program, mm-hmm. uh, which cosmology is a big part of that, you, you can't help but ask yourself the questions around when did it start? How did it start? How did it evolve? You know, where is it going? You know, is there a beginning and an end? I mean, it really becomes this like existential exercise. (laughs) Yeah. And I I love that. I love those big questions. Um, You know, not that there's ever any answers. (laughs) But it makes you think. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think I came to a conclusion, you know, it was interesting because, you know, I think we started out, you know, or I started out thinking, you know, like we're, we're in, insignificant mm-hmm. uh, in the whole scope of things, um, you know, and kind of had to struggle with that. Mm-hmm. And, but then that translated into, you know, we may be a small piece, but, you know, we're special. Whatever it is that we have here is unique, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, absolutely. And there's tons of other life out there. I am 100% convinced. That's so interesting because I love asking that question. And some people say, oh, yeah, absolutely. And others are like, oh, gosh, they, if so, we would have known about it. No, I mean, it, space is so vast. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I'm sure you've heard of the Drake equation, right? You know, where you have all of these variables and you stack them up and you can make them incredibly unlikely, you know, give them a 0.001% probability. And yet you still end up 
with hundreds of thousands of civilizations. Now, where they are in their their process mm-hmm. um, and whether or not they're able to, to get here, you know, is an entirely different question, you know, uh, and that's a fun debate also. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it really kind of reached fervor pitch when we started releasing those records about our UFOs yeah. from the military um, files. Yeah. What are your thoughts about that? Do you think we've been, <laughs> we've been visited, we just don't know it, or we have been and we're just not telling anybody or what are your thoughts? Uh, you know, I, I've uh, spoken with some uh, very credible people who have nothing to lose, mm-hmm. or I'm sorry, nothing to gain, you know, by saying that they've had experiences, et cetera. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm, I'm reluctant to just dismiss that, you know, and I, I couple that with, you know, that I, I'm, like I said, I'm certain life is, is out there. And, you know, and I, I've heard people say, you know, well, why would people, why would aliens bother to visit earth? And I'm like, <laughs> are you kidding me? It's like, like the world, the world. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like this, this, Whatever's happening here, you know, we are in the mm-hmm. infancy of our technology. I mean, people yeah. think we're we're sort of at, you know, the uh, the pinnacle, but really we're just beginning. Um, you know, we're we're toddlers running around with computers, <laughs> and, <laughs> which they are now, and probably yeah, yeah. better than many. <laughs> Literally but, now, yes. yeah. <laughs> and um, I, I mean, from an anthropological standpoint, mm-hmm. this would be fascinating mm-hmm. right so yeah mm-hmm. i think that there would be a tremendous amount of interest in visiting earth and you know watching us go through these growing pains and you know seeing whether or not we actually managed to to get over this um you know place that you know some uh futurists and and science fiction writers say you know this is, we're kind of at that point where we're either going to learn how to work with our environment mm-hmm. and get through all these, you know, difficulties mm-hmm. we're having, or it's going to be the end. <laughs> so we, we, we do it. And that's what, you know, <laughs> philosophically, it's been fascinating. I've always tried to wonder what, what was before the Big Bang? And I, I, I don't know. I, I really mm-hmm. can't even formulate that concept. I'm sure you've thought about it from, you know, an astrophysics point, but also from that you know, continuum of, of life. What are your thoughts about that? What was before the Big Bang or was there ever? Are we just one circle going around and around? Yeah, you know, it's it's an interesting question because, you know, I always wondered, well, okay, so, you know, the, the universe, you know, there's the Big Bang and the universe expanded, mm-hmm. but it expanded into what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Right. And when we're all stardust, you know, we're made from the beginning yep. of time, basically. It's mm-hmm. Incredible. Celestial dust. Yeah. So what do you, what are your thoughts? Some have even suggested that we've been doing this game for a while. So we reach a point, mm-hmm. then we destroy our planet, whether nuclear or however else we do it, climate change. And then it starts all over again. And then sure. sometime we might get it right. <laughs> is, that, <laughs> is that absurd or is that viable? What are your thoughts on that? Uh, no, I, I don't think it's absurd at all. I mean, I think we're, we're teetering, you know, very close to, you know, seeing that play out once more. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people, you know, talk about saving the planet, the planet's going to be fine. Mm. You know, it might take, 
a million years or a mm-hmm. hundred million years, right? Right. right. <laughs> the, the planet will ultimately be fine. Um, you know, there will be new life and different life mm-hmm. and whether or not we're here yeah, we're part to of witness it, right. it, you know, <laughs> is really the question. And this is, you know, try, trying to, you know, prevent our, our demise is, is really um, what motivates me. Um, mm-hmm. You know, climate change is probably the issue mm-hmm. that is nearest and dearest to my heart. And it is uh, incredibly frustrating um, that it's even a debate <laughs> in my very, mind. <laughs> we've had a podcast with Professor Matthew Johnston about that, how it's been so politicized and people mm-hmm. have lost the essence of what we're talking about. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's, um, you know, I, I will admit that, you know, there's a lot of conflicting data or, you know, mm-hmm. estimates that, you know, come in above or below where they were expected to. And, and, you know, so many people I think that, that are not scientifically literate, you know, take that to mean that the original hypothesis is, therefore incorrect, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like, well, no, but there, there's a thousand different variables and, you know, and you, you tweak them best you can to come up with what you think is going to happen. But, you know, if, if even the trend mm-hmm. is accurate, right. it's something to pay attention to, you know, Dr. Johnson said there's a, actually now no point of ever going back to the way it was that we sort of reached beyond, you know, that fail safe measure, which is sort of depressing and that we have to explore other planets and bodies because we we're doing a number on our own. Well, you know, what I've always found impressive when I've talked to you is that you talk about the technology certainly, but you also talk about the humanity behind what inspires you. And it seems as if you've woven that into star Harbor, a company that you developed even before there really was the, the launch of commercial space, it was almost like you saw what was coming and you created a vessel to be able to capture that. Can you tell us a little bit about Star Harbor? Sure. You know, so uh, Star Harbor was actually born out of uh, two things. One, you know, the belief that we can leverage the solutions for space to, you know, really impact positively life here on Earth and, um Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's energy solutions or waste solutions uh, or agritech, you know, there are so many technologies uh, that are being developed, you know, that we can use here at home. Um, and, you know, it's related to that climate change concern, you know, that I have. And, you know, people, one of the things I, I uh, learned over the years is uh I can't say that word. Uh, complaining to people. I <laughs> <laughs> don't know what you're thinking. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, doesn't really work, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, we can tell people you need to recycle and you need to do this and you need to do that. And at some point they mm-hmm. just start tuning you out. And so I wanted to find um, something that would help bring around the solutions that was based on inspiration rather than fear. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope space. Can. Yeah, space is exciting. You know, it's motivational. Uh, if I can get people excited about finding energy solutions for a space station, but then we can turn around and use that here at home. Right. The right? technology transfer aspect. Yeah. Yep. Um, then, then that's really what I wanted to do. And then couple that with 
selfishly so, you know, wanting, wanting to make it easier for people who love space to get there if they so desire. And so Star Harbor is, um, we, uh, we started a number of years ago and we have, uh, just signed a purchase sale agreement for 50 plus acres of land near Lone Tree, Colorado to build a large campus for civilian astronaut training and, uh, uh, R and D. It's truly remarkable. It's first of all, it's in a beautiful place in Colorado, but I love the mm. fact that you're democratizing space by bringing space to others. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we've got some really exciting programs and mechanisms by which to do that. Can you share a couple um, ideas that you have and what's going to happen on the Star Harbor campus? So, you know, obviously, you know, the, the passengers and crew, um, whether they're scientists or, or, you know, paid, I, I hate to use the word tourists, but, uh, you know. We'll call them explorers. Explorers. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. I explorers. I like explorers. that too. Yeah. But for, you know, those of us that don't have an extra, you know, 10 or 20 million in our back pocket to. Yeah. A few of us to go. Yeah. <laughs> we are creating a, um like an employee internship program, if you will. And this is something that I'm very, very excited about. It'll be about a three-year program. You get hired as one of our trainers and you'll go through and get certified and, and learn everything there is to know about all of the space analog environments and uh, policies and procedures for, you know, the space flight vehicles and the stations or, you know, whatever tool, you know, it is that uh, you're using to go. And then, you know, at the end of that three years, uh, you'll be able to put yourself out there as a fully qualified space flight ready individual. Um, and in that way, you know, you're not having to pay the many millions of dollars uh, to mm-hmm. get yourself trained, mm-hmm. um, but we'll end up with uh, the same or, or better education. So. so you're, is this something that everyone could participate? Is it across generation and, and, academic background? Could somebody, for example, who doesn't have a college degree be able to be part of this? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I think that there are going to be uh, certain requirements, but, you know, we're going to need space welders, right? If, right, if somebody the workforce. has, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yep, the new workforce. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so from my, you know, from our perspective, you know, the PhDs aren't necessary, you know, what skill sets do you have? What kind of motivation do you have? You know, because we are going to need those welders and mechanics and, you know, non-degreed technicians in space. And I think the beauty of what you're doing is you're providing them the tools and opportunities to do this. So it's it's pretty incredible. I also sort of see Star Harbor as, I, I call it the Switzerland of the space program, because it's a competitive space, so to speak, but it seems as if Star Harbor really has its doors open to everyone. Why, why did you do that? I guess I would say, you know, two, two primary reasons, you know, one, uh, because we want to make space available to everybody, you know, mm-hmm. and so in, when you tie yourself to, to any one pony, you know, you're, you're, um, you're leaving out, you know, many others. You know, I think what's beautiful about space is that everyone can find a way to connect to it, whether they're an explorer or they're an artist 
or they want to practice medicine, or they just want to enjoy and have fun. Where do you see eventually our multitude of space stations that are starting to percolate? Do you think we're going to have kind of that competitive environment that we see here on Earth between resorts and and destinations? Do you see that's going to happen in space? I do. Uh, I I think it's going to take some time. Uh, You know, but right now there are at least four companies uh, actually, I just learned about a fifth one, you know, that are planning on building stations and, and making them available to the public. I, I think it's going to be a while before mm-hmm. it's commonplace, you know, but that's that's no different than any other new technology, right? Mm-hmm. When, you know, cars or computers or airplanes first came on the scene, it was only the affluent that had access. And it took time before it was available to the masses. Uh, I, I see this will follow a, a similar curve, but I do I do see it happening. You know, one of the things we've also talked about is the impact of diversity, inclusion, and equity in mm-hmm. everything we do here on Earth. Can we get it right in space? You know, it started off with the quote-unquote right stuff, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can we really evolve to that point where we encourage and enable everyone to be able to have a part of this, whether, you know, of your particular age or race or gender or ability, can we really do it? Uh, Can we? Absolutely. Will we? (laughs) And I guess that's the million dollar, the $55 million question. Yeah. 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 You know, I, I don't think it will happen by accident. Um, mm-hmm. you know, there are still very few women and, and people of color going into, um, some of the, the technology fields more now than in the past. But I, mm-hmm. I think the most recent number I, I heard about the aerospace industry, for example, was, uh, 11% female. That's absurd. Especially when you consider people coming out with the ability to do this, whether it's from that professional study or collegiate study mm-hmm. something's wrong what, what's happening mariah what's what's stopping women and girls from coming into this i think there's a lot of factors but i i think it really begins uh very early on in elementary school mm-hmm. and and with the messages we get from our parents you know mm-hmm. i i was very fortunate you know my mom was the type that was always telling me that i could do you know whatever it is you want to do you could do it you know you just need to get the right tools or training or whatever mm-hmm. but like there's like no excuses you know <laughs> right. but not everybody gets that message right and if you're not you know if the resources aren't available you know uh, at school and I think often there's a lot of ingrained uh, biases that, you know, teachers and adults bring to the conversation. They don't, they're not even aware that they're bringing to the conversation. So that's sort of those hidden bias, but mm-hmm. it's there. Yeah. Those, mm-hmm. And it, it's funny how that comes out in certain ways. Well, one of the things you've done is you've also launched not only the for-profit end of it, but you have the nonprofit. You have your educational foundation, Star Harbor Educational Foundation, um, led by Jeff Barrett. Do you want to yeah. share a little bit about it? Because that's such an exciting avenue to bring in exactly what you're describing. Yeah. So, I mean, we are, you know, being a, a, a woman in the steam. Yeah, I got to get that A in there for artistry. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. yeah. 
um, you know, it's it's very important to me that that we increase the um, inclusion um, and and you know everything from race, gender to you know bodily abilities. You know, mm-hmm. there, there's so many different um, ways in which people have been traditionally excluded. You know that that we're really looking to impact in a positive way. And we intend to have some uh, really exciting K through 12 education initiatives, um, you know, to get kids, uh, any, any children, but in particular, those that, you know, wouldn't typically get exposed to the kind of um, career path that, that we're looking to, to help enable. Um, excited about what's coming, coming. Uh, about a future in space, potentially. Uh, we are also working on uh, workforce development programs, um, you know, because the, the aerospace industry is is booming right now, and I, I don't see that going away. Yes. I, I, I kind of see we're, mm-hmm. you know, this being the next gold rush, frankly. Um, mm-hmm. And it's appropriate you're in Colorado, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of that. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then we're also doing, you know, public outreach um, with the nonprofit. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's been a lot of mixed messages about the importance of spending money on on space research and, and visiting space mm-hmm. and space exploration. You know, there's a lot of folks that, you know, don't like that we're spending, you know, millions or billions of dollars mm-hmm. in space. Sure. But, you know, mm-hmm. I... I heard somebody say once, the first time, I, I don't think he was the first one to, to say it from what I've heard, but it was who I first heard it from, which was uh, Charlie Bolden mm-hmm. on one of the, uh, the the launches. I was listening to him speak, and he said, you know, one of the things that people don't realize when they're talking about this is that there's never been a single dollar spent in space, right? All of that money that is spent happens here on Earth. That is jobs. That is research. Those are facilities being built. It is part of the economy here on Earth. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and anything that is, uh, you know, sort of feeding that beast, you know, ultimately is is a positive. Um, you know, that the end result happens to be in space is less relevant. It's a really unique way of doing that. Charlie, you know, of course, was a NASA administrator and, and a general. So he certainly mm-hmm. probably saw where all our amazing amount of funding have gone into the military, which we probably don't even know one-tenth of it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, for defense and other purposes. So for space, the possibilities are so enormous. That yeah. Not only the tech transfer and the translation, but, you know, coming back to where we began our conversation, to where we began begin our existence to going back to mm-hmm. where we came from. So it's that existential connection again. Yeah, absolutely. So Mariah, if you were offered a ticket today, just as you were when you were <laughs> college and grad school, <laughs> would you say, yeah, sign me up. I'm ready to go. Yes, but. <laughs> ah, the but. Okay. So that's the tincture of, of time and age here. So, uh, I would say absolutely, um, depending on the the vehicle and the destination, uh, you know, I, you know, nothing against the companies that it, that are doing a suborbital flights. I, I think it's phenomenal. But if I'm going to strap myself to, you know, 
multiple tons of rocket fuel and <laughs> go for a launch, <laughs> I want to go for the prize. <laughs> well, this is good. So can we see you on Mars one day? Mars, I don't know. The moon, yes. Okay, perfect. Yeah. We'll I, I think Mars is going to be a one-way ticket for a while. <laughs> you're, you're probably right. You're probably right. Well, I know that adventure is in your blood. You were mm. an analog astronaut. You've been a flight coach for zero G, helping others experience what microgravity is like. And now you're helping to bring the rest of the planet with you through Star Harbor. So I, I want to thank you for your vision, for your humanity, and for sharing your time with us on Always Searching. Well, thank you so much. And, and you know, we are incredibly grateful that your belief in us and, and the vision, you know, led you to, uh, you know, become part of the team. Extremely proud to have you and uh, looking forward to what's to come. Thank you, Mariah. And, and, and it's mutual. It's almost like as we started, everything leads you back to where you're supposed to be. So it's the right time in the right place and with wonderful people and until next time we're always searching thank you so much for listening to always searching please share it with your community this podcast was produced by noah jones and hosted by me dr sarah lynn mark until next time we're always searching <laughs>